when you disband, does the name go somewhere and the whole thing just go off into oblivion? Or... And the, the Beatles' name will continue because it's, it's, all, it's a Beatles Limited, you know? Mm -hmm. And there's lots of Beatles product that's repackaged. Uh, for instance, last year there was two sets of double albums that did as well as anything we put out when we were together. And there's uh, a film in the, in the offing that's comprised of all films we've collected from all the tours and all the interviews over the world that has been put together, which will be called The Long and Winding Road, no doubt. So they exist, but they don't work together anymore. Welcome this week's One Day with Fab. I'm Ed Chan. And I'm John Stone. The news that's out this week is not great. Someone, probably Disney, put out a press release indicating that the get back sales have been pretty dismal on physical media. I would say that they didn't do a great job in marketing it. Well, exactly. And it's not available in very many places. You walk into a Best Buy, even the ones that still carry blu-ray and dvd and there's no copies there right so the numbers that they released the dvd version has sold just twelve thousand seven hundred sixteen copies and the blu-ray has sold thirty one thousand six hundred sixty one total sales have come to just 1.6 million well okay just 1.6 considering they haven't done any advertising i mean disney doesn't really want the physical media to succeed because they want people to subscribe to the Disney Channel, and they're raising prices. <laughs> lordy, lordy. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I don't know. I mean, there's a, a huge sea of Beatle fans who still shell out money. And so I think if they would promote it a bit better or given us anything yeah i bought a copy but still i actually have two copies because i have <laughs> uh, because i got one of the aborted ones from the first run back in february and it's like well, there oh. you go so you know all they need is about uh another five hundred thousand you <laughs> <Me. laughs> and then they got it yeah and some of these things just take a certain amount of time maybe it needs to come to a point where disney is not showing it and therefore, people will want copies of it. Who knows? Well, I mean, then why put out this press release saying, oh, we're disappointed in the sales? 
there's definitely something oddly political going on here. Right. Then related to that, Peter Jackson appeared on a podcast from KCRW. I'm Kim Masters, and this is The Business. There's a nice generic name for you. It was only supposed to be a movie, but with reels and reels of footage to work with, Oscar winner Peter Jackson ultimately put together a three-part, nearly eight-hour docuseries on the making of the 1970 Beatles album, Let It Be. And so... They came around to this topic. I know you're doing an expanded version of this. I think that's... I'm not, no. I'm, I'm, oh, no. I'm, I'm fighting to do one. Kim, help, help me. I'm Disney, <laughs> Disney and Apple are reluctant because they say, and they might be quite right, that there's no market anymore for extended cuts. But I know that there's five or six hours of fantastic material that we didn't include that I don't want it to go back in the vault for another 50 years. So let's just say it's a conversation that's happening, but um, it's not necessarily a definitive one at this this point. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll try mm. Bob Chapik for you, but I don't know if you'll be <laughs> influenced by me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of what he's been saying almost since release. Right. This announcement or quasi-announcement can't help matters any. Disney can turn around and say, well, no one bought the Bare Bones release, so why would they buy an extended one? It's one of those things where you have to take some action to get what you want. It's just like voting. (laughs) You should go out and vote if you want the world you want. That's how you get it. And if you want more Beatle releases, you need to make your voice heard. Yeah, my other suggestion was maybe we just all send digestive biscuits to the executives at Disney, you know. That works for all these other TV shows. <laughs> Mars bars and, uh, I mean, all the way back to the original Star Trek, they sent them various items indicating we want this show to continue. <laughs> send back all your Disney merchandise. <laughs> now that would be funny. <laughs> That's what's going on in the world this week. Still no announcement about the sometime in New York City box. Still no announcement about the revolver box. We'll keep our fingers crossed. Yep. Patience. So our topic this week is something that came up a couple times at the fest. There was a version of the Long and Winding Road that we've had available to us for, oh, probably about seven or eight years now. This is the pre-anthology film. Right. We're going to kind of dive into not just this film, but a little bit about how the Beatles thought of their own legacy through the years. Because, I mean, this is all tied up with that. Yes. I keep thinking back to that early interview with John where he goes, How long are you going to last? Well, you can't say, you know. You can be big-headed and say, yeah, we're going to last 10 years. But as soon as you've said that, you think, you know, we're lucky if we last three months. You know. I'm sure as the years went on, they had no idea that 50 years later, Disney would be releasing their last concert. I mean, who could have foreseen that? So their perception of who they were and their impact had to have changed over the years. What other films are there that resemble this? The only thing that I could think of which was even vaguely like this was The Kids Are All Right from The Who. Yeah, I think The Stones put out 25 by 5 or something like that. Was that entirely a collection of TV and promotional film clips? I thought that was something a little bit different. Well, they're not exactly the same, but that's the only thing that I can think of that was, was, was kind of like that. The Kids Are All Right was a collection of their appearances through the years, although they actually filmed some new stuff, didn't they? I mean, Ringo certainly went in there and filmed some stuff 
with Keith Moon. Right. Those two films are pretty close together, I would say. Kids Are All Right had the fortune or misfortune of coming out right around Keith's passing. Right. You know, when we talk about legacy, I guess the first real thing that they were involved in, which was about their own legacy, was Hunter Davies and the authorized biography. Hunter was a friend of Paul's. A new friend. And this certainly was the first book like this, although there was an early one. Well, there was Love Me Do, which was kind of like that. Yeah, I mean, it had their cooperation. There were lots of quotes from them in it. But I think that Hunter Davies' thought was... Oh my gosh, by that time, the phenomenon had been going for four years, and he felt like it really should be chronicled. And it was really Revolver that came out that convinced him that, oh, this is more than just a pop music phenomenon. This is an artistic phenomenon. Yeah, you know, the song Eleanor Rigby had a huge impact on a certain audience. It clearly was not your typical pop record. And so it really made a difference. Leonard Bernstein took notice of it. But that's the Beatles, always unpredictable and a bit more inventive than most. And so, you know, it did have a big impact. It was lyrically intriguing and the arrangement was completely unique. So with the single and then with the album, Connor went to his new friend Paul McCartney and said, you know, can I get someone to consider this project? And uh, the way he puts it, Paul helped me write a groveling letter to Brian, (laughs) who agreed that I could do it. (laughs) It's good to have Paul on your side. Yeah, although writing a groveling letter to Brian probably helped as well. (laughs) Right. So he, he then got to spend the next couple of years living, learning, and loving with the Beatles. He took a really interesting tack for doing the biography. He felt like if he went first to Liverpool and really got into their backgrounds, of course, he had their permission. He carried that with him. And he would go to Liverpool and interview people. He interviewed Pete Best and Mona and the folks in Liverpool. And then he would go back to the Beatles with stories and new information and that he felt really helped his relationship with them. He got a good biography out of it. Yes, but we do know that there were things which the family members didn't want out there and explicitly told him he could not put in the book. The most notable was, well, Brian's homosexuality. Well, I think he went and got the biography and then it was passed around And everybody had a chance to go, oh, no, not that. Mimi clearly had views of John's childhood that did not include juvenile delinquency. And so she had him clean that up a bit. But I think in his uh, forward to a later edition, Davies said that, you know, he did his best to still imply things. Where if you were really reading, you could get that, John was kind of a naughty boy and that perhaps Brian's background was not as it was portrayed. But when you read about their reception of the finished product, they, they meaning the Beatles were a bit disappointed in what was actually on the page. I don't think Paul felt that way. He, he was around Hunter Davies for some time after that. Well, of course. I mean, he obviously went on vacation with them as we saw and get back. They told us all about that. Right. 
I don't know. It just seems, you know, you read the quotes, particularly in later years, although, you know, again, you cannot get an idea of their mindset at the time from what they say two, three, four years later. At a later point, John certainly looked at that biography and, and said, well, that wasn't all that honest. I mean, he basically savages it and Lennon remembers. Yeah, but he savages everything. I mean, if he wanted to be really honest, he wouldn't have insisted that what Mimi wanted taken out should be taken out. So he's partly responsible for the cleaning up of the biography. And certainly in 1968, I think it was early 1969, nobody was anxious for him to trash the image of the Beatles. So we bring it to this point because certainly we know right around here is when the Beatles got the idea of putting together their film clips. They've been collecting an archive of their own films and you know making a movie out of that. Right. Sarah Schmidt on her Meet the Beatles for Real page has this wonderful picture inside of Savile Row of just these cans of movie film stacked up on what is essentially a ratty old bookcase. Right, but I don't know that any of them worked on it. But I do think it was probably their idea. You know, it's one of those things that probably came up in the post-Brian era. Yeah, we got all this stuff. Why don't we make a movie out of it? Right. I don't know what the history of those films are. Were they collected by NEMS? And there's still the question of rights. They were obviously always going to use some of the Sullivan footage. They didn't own the Sullivan footage at that point in time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So it was Dennis O'Dell who originally put together everything that they had and took notes and categorized it. And so that was the first couple years of this long and winding road as it was reported. And it was reported early. One of the more amusing things is that they got as far as a rough cut and George was in his office watching the edit of Long and Winding Road. On the day Paul put out his McCartney self-press release, April 10th, 1970. In a way, the putting together of it showed that there was some attitude of this has concluded. So they're putting together this film with the history of the Beatles. Apparently it was called Long and Winding Road at this point. I you know, I guess after the song came out and after Let It Be came out, or at least Let It Be was together. John refers to it as that and at various times they call it by that name, but the song's not even in this compilation that we have here. I, I I'm it makes me wonder was it ever really that? Yeah. I know that that title came up early. And it kept with them. I mean, it's the title they use. Ken Womack told us in last week's show, as a matter of fact, that Neil and Mao referred to the film as Scrapbook at that point in time. Right. That's a very appropriate title, given what's actually sitting there. Yeah. For those who haven't seen the film, there is no narration at all. It's not like someone explains the history of the Beatles or what's happening It's clip after clip after clip. They leave the narration for the interview clips. The interviews are telling you what's going on at this point in time. Right. And maybe that's something which they then said, well, okay, rather than having a narrator, we will have these interviews with the Beatles when it would eventually become anthology. That kind of kept through as a slight through line. What happened to those films? They basically turned a building that they had purchased for Magic Alex and Apple Electronics on Boston Place into the film studio that Neil and Mal would use. They bought in a researcher whose name is Neil Burley. That must have been confusing, having two Neils around. (laughs) John Eastman, John Lennon. 
Uh, yeah, George Harrison, <laughs> George Martin. Oh my gosh, and two George Harrisons. <laughs> the first significant edit of the film would be at the end of 1970, after the two needles had gone out and sourced everything and started cutting it together. I guess what George saw was just a collection of not even spliced together, just, you know, here's one film, here's another film, here's the third film. That would be my guess. Yeah. Or just putting it in a chronological order, show what they had. The next time we hear about it is in the uh, October 1970 Beatles Monthly. And they said that Neil was close to finishing it and that it would be released by Christmas. (laughs) But by then, who believed Beatle Monthly? (laughs) (laughs) This is true. We had just been through all of the let it be is coming. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Right. Or the uh, Plastic Ono single that never showed up. (laughs) This is true. But in that particular piece in the monthly, this is the first time we learn a little bit about the way they were putting the clips together beyond just chronologically. They were saying that the film would be shown in a split-screen format, kind of like the Woodstock presentation. That's interesting, and there are certainly traces of that that remain here. things that they've cut together that would be split screen in effect then at the end of that year paul would take the other beatles to court we know that and amongst other things in his testimony he said that he would have no further involvement with the film project the long and winding road project so right why would he he's trying to break up apple and all that so i'm not going to be involved with that so that was effectively the end of the project for the time or paul's possible involvement well but without paul and with john going off and doing what he was you know i think neil and mal were still sitting there still working on it before mal would move to the states right so you know there's maybe a year there where the two of them tinkered with it that being their main beetle project that was still possibly to happen and then all of a sudden a year later in 1972 Apple said, oh, yeah, this thing is back on now. And they referred to it by the name 10 Years in the Life of the Beatles. Well, there weren't going to be 11. I don't know if Paul was back in at this point or not. Things had started to cool down between him and John. The Beatles were, if not an ongoing entity, at least they were willing to sit and talk about things. As we learned, it would really another year beyond that. 1973, when, as Ken put it, Mal would have all the baseball cards in his collection, you know. With Alan Klein out of their lives, does Paul think that his misgivings have been justified? Yes, I do. 
I don't know, I don't feel kind of, um, you know, smug about it, but uh, I don't think it was the kind of thing that um, was needed. You know, I think there was something needed to kind of uh, help with the financial... Uh, it wasn't so much a failure, it was a big financial mess, just no one knew where all the books were and all it was a bit haphazard and stuff, you know. But um, I don't think he was the right man and I'm glad to see him out, you know. Paul with John Mitchell of BBC Radio Leicester talking just last month. And although Paul precludes the possibility of the group The Beatles reforming, this doesn't mean that they won't record with each other occasionally. Now he's gone out, the main obstacle to uh, people working together has been removed, you know. I mean, it means now that, uh, say, you know, if we fancy working with each other and stuff. But it doesn't mean necessarily the Beatles are going to reform, you know. It might mean that I'll play a concert with John in New York somewhere, George might roll in, Ringo might roll in, and you find that the Beatles are on stage kind of thing. Mm. But at the moment, there's no great plans to get back together. You know, it's uh, I know as much as you, really... But I say, you know, there's no kind of anger in there anymore, so that's a nice thing. I mean, how's the animosity between John There's none and of that. Well, on. there's none of that. I mean, see, you've got to remember, you know, in our position, you know, uh, what they do when you, you... All you have to do is... All that has to happen is John to write a snidey song about me or to do a snidey article about me. And uh, I'm expected to kind of jump down his throat. And whilst I was a bit cheesed off by it, obviously, um, I tried not to and we eventually kind of cooled off and after a couple of months uh, we were chatting away on the phone and kind of talking quite peacefully between each other and happily you know um, but I think just because we didn't say to the press oh by the way everyone we are now talking you know because you don't you don't announce who you're talking to mm. and we still feel pretty human so we don't go announcing you know if I phone John I don't ring up the BBC say uh, seen and heard I like to do an interview, you know, and on the interview, yeah, I met John. You know, I mean, it's not like that. But um, the, there was only a couple of months of real bitterness in there, and uh, that was due to a lot of things. We were being played against each other and mm. funny things like that. We were being made to think that each... I mean, I know the others at one time thought I was trying to take over Apple, which is nothing ever further from my mind, you know, because I'm not interested in that big scene. But that was the kind of little thing they were hearing, you see. So, I mean, there was a bit of the bitterness. But now there's, uh, it's great, you know. I said, I just worked with Ringo and I've seen, I've spoken to John and George pretty recently. The four of them were at least on speaking terms by 1974. This is the edit that slipped out. It looks like we actually got a video cassette of someone screening the film. Yeah. This is available on the TMOQ label. Like I say, it's been available for about eight or nine years. It looks terrible. You have all this stuff in better condition, but we're talking about it as a historical document. You know, this is a demo. And in effect, Neil and Mal's view of it. Following on from last week, this is something that should be considered when you're sitting and watching that. This is how they saw the Beatle experience. You hear about them sitting there cackling over Shea Stadium footage. John might, but Paul or George certainly wouldn't be there and have quite such a jolly mood when looking at that footage. You know, they'd say, oh, you know, we had to re-record that and, and this bass note was missed. It's, it's not Neil and Mal. Oh, that was so much fun. Yeah, that's that's valid. I mean, I don't think them having to re-record things was that unusual because people did a lot for live stuff. Wings over America, anybody? Before that, other bands would do that. So we won't describe the film, but we'll kind of tell you what's in there. And there are some 
amusing and cute intercuts, which you do see here. One thing that surprises me is they like to get as close to showing full songs as they possibly can a lot of times. Yeah. You know, you didn't really get a chance to see those full videos at that point. I certainly didn't see a day in the life until years later. That is kind of the point. In 1970, in 1972, in 1976, any of those times, it would have been a huge splash. Yeah, for sure. People just were still Beatles obsessed, and all of this stuff had really just gone on to be a rumor. You know, no one had seen Sullivan in 10 years. They didn't repeat the 64 show much beyond 64, and Sullivan hadn't gone into syndication yet. So the February 9th, 1964 show was just, you know, maybe you'd get a little clip in a newscast or something, but to see a whole song would have been amazing. You would see it in at a college showing or something. You know, what you had in 74 mainly were, were books. And that's how you saw Ed Sullivan in black and white pictures. In one of the other panels, in the crossover panel, we were talking about documentaries. And uh, the one that I bought up, which was really my introduction to a lot of this material, was Braverman's Condensed Cream of Beatles. Did you ever see that? No. It's like a 14-minute, just very, very quick cut. It was from like 73, 74, and... It's kind of like Long and Winding Road in that it's just got little bits of all of these different things, and it's got fast animation, and it's, it's a really neat summary of the band. And it's it's a full summary of the 10 years in 14 minutes, which is kind of amazing. Yeah. But, but it, you know, kind of what I'm talking about is the delivery systems at that point. You know, there were no video cassettes there was nothing of that sort and so you would have showing sometimes at a college I mean, that's how i saw magical mystery tour and people were selling eight millimeter films out of the back of like rolling stone you get your family's home movie player and you bring out a little screen and no sound even the, that stuff was not widely disseminated. I'll just start reading out more or less what these clips are, and you can stop me if there's something you want to comment on. Okay. Uh, it starts with the cartoon Ringo from Yellow Submarine. You know. Liverpool can be a lonely place on a Saturday night. And this is only Thursday morning. Then that's followed by some of the Mercy Sound stuff. And that, again, would have been something new to people to see Ringo in the hairdresser clips. Yeah, or any of that stuff from England that wasn't known in America at all for a long time. And that would become highlights of pretty much every subsequent documentary. <laughs> exactly. The one to compare it to the most is probably Complete Beatles, Beatles-wise, because Complete clearly had seen this and borrowed some things, shall we say. Although Complete did have Malcolm McDowell right with that fascinating if not entirely opinionless narration right then that's followed by beatles come to town which again they would reuse in eight days a week some of this still lived on in their own documentaries beyond anthology Right. There's always so much footage. <laughs> then the Maisel's footage. The main stuff in the early things was they're very good about the innocence of coming up. And so you get a good view of the development of Beatlemania. Remember, make sure you listen about the sweatshirts. And tomorrow morning, an exciting morning on Moses Brad Phillips as the Beatles of the Beatles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, 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 yeah
And here is a clip that you can tell that Eric particularly decided to parody. You know, the clip in the Ruddles is an exact duplicate of this clip of them driving into town and then in the hotel room. Oh, right. You know, you say, what did Eric Idle parody? Well, here's what Eric Idle parodied for sure. Then we get a bit of Sullivan, a bit more than we actually got in the original Maisel's film. I think in the Maisel's film, all we got was the family watching it on the TV, right? Yeah. So we actually get some of the actual show clipped in here. Then the DC stuff. The DC stuff is not presented real well, I didn't think. Actually, (laughs) I thought, well, this is really cool because you really get the sense of mayhem of the train station and them being manhandled. And kind of uh, there's one point when John seems to be really excited by it all. The CBS News clip there, which... Again, they chose the better bit for eight days a week, I think, but it's still really good, the version of it that is in here in Long and Winding Road. What have you seen that you like best about our country? You. (laughs) Thank you very much. I'll take that under advisement. Then it moves on to Blackpool Night Out and Paul singing Yesterday. I'm not sure why they put that here. Nor I. They're not completely chronological in this then to around the beatles i did like when john mentions ringo we go into the intro of of around the beatles with ringo shooting the cannon that that kind of amused me (laughs) right then it goes into a triple split screen you get two screens on top which are mostly australia the new zealand tour and then in the bottom half you get a performance footage from around the beatles right Did you like that? It was an effective way to show the mania, but it's also a little bit hard to watch. Well, I kept in mind that this was Neil and Mal doing their view of it. And so you do Blackpool Night Out, and it's weird, but but around the Beatles, you've seen the DC footage, all this stuff, the triple screen, which really kind of makes it crazy in order to go into A Hard Day's Night. So here's a film about what you've just seen. Okay. Hard Day's Night has a couple of different clips. Hello. Hello. Oh, wait a minute. No, I'm not. Oh, you are. I'm not. Oh, you are. I know you are. I'm not, no. You look just like And then you also get the scene where they're being made up. He's reading the Queen. <laughs> it's a ninja, folks. Then there's a jump cut. <laughs> Look at the bird. Just busted through, like. There's a cute bit between the two of them. It's the scene where they're sitting talking about sandwiches with grandfather. Right. And, and there, there's our set down there. And then inset in the theater was the Shea Stadium. Right. You see them running down, which is then followed by them running up on the other side into Shea Stadium. That was like the one special effect they could afford. There was one other one, but that's, it wasn't quite a special effect. <laughs> they're in the theater. They run down to, to the stage, supposedly walk through the stage doors and they're in Shea Stadium. Yeah, that's amusing. It's also what Ken Womack said to us. uh, Well, Neil was practicing at being a film editor. Right. This is fun. I'll put this here. I have an idea. We get quite a bit of Shea here. 
songs. Not complete, but we do get about three or four songs. Including Lennon's manic performance. Of I'm Down, yeah. yeah. With his elbow on the organ there. I am aware that they re-recorded their vocals. And I have to say both he and George did a great job on, on that song. They worked hard to get it right, although you know maybe they didn't have to work that hard because that really was how they played it every time. I noted that at one point when John sings, I'm really down, woo, they got that. And some of the performance footage at the end, Neil decided to go to an overlay. You got the crowd in the background and you got these Beatles projected on top of them. I thought that was a little bit weird. Not part of the original presentation. Well, clearly that whole little section was him being a filmmaker. Yeah. We'll find out that Mal did it all. <laughs> yep. Ken, we're waiting. Father's <laughs> Day next year. There you go. Then we go into the MBE footage uh, in what had to have been a George Harrison contribution. We see bands walking through and overdubbed is the Liberty Bell March better known as the Monty Python theme. And of course, if they were doing this early, Monty Python was still on. If it was later, then it was certainly well known. And then that takes us into the next special effect, which I also like a whole lot. You know, after some interview and bits and pieces talking about the MBEs, you see their limo driving off, which then cuts their limo driving in on help yeah. as they're getting ready to go into their apartments. I thought that was... That was clever, clever. Yeah. They go through several songs from the movie Help, bits and pieces. And the strange thing is, is all the songs that they play are not the hits. They don't play Help. They don't play Ticket to Ride. It's like Another Girl and Night Before and You're Gonna Lose That Girl. I just thought that was an interesting choice, paying attention to them being the editors. That is the way to think of this film. That help bit is then followed by a Chiron with just the word Christ. And what that reminded me of was this, it's the anti-version of the Ballad of John and Yoko where they, <laughs> they, you know, where in the video they bleeped out the word Christ and you got this Chiron with an exclamation point on right. the screen. It's like, now we get to do it. Right. This was the point where I thought, well, they're now assuming that you know this story. Because <laughs> why just go, Christ? <laughs> that leads into a, another one of those clips which we see all the time in all of these things. The Klan guy at DC. You know, I've always had a question. Is that for real? As far as I know, I've never seen anyone say it was staged. Well, I haven't either, and yet my sense of reality... <laughs> Your bullshit detector is telling you... I'm thinking, first of all, he grins a lot, <laughs> and he says stuff like, well, we're a terrorist organization. It's like, you know, okay, yeah, that you walk out and you say... And we're going to demonstrate with uh, different ways and tactics to stop this performance. The Klan is going to come out here because we're the only organization that will come out and make a stop. It's like, it just seems so over the top that it's like, this can't be real. How are you going to stage that? It has always struck me as being... As being odd, yeah. Yeah, certainly the controversy was raging at that point, 
And so somebody who wants a little stage time. I suppose it could have been staged in that way, not necessarily something that the Beatles or the news guys set up. But no. I mean, you, you hear about this all the time. Kevin Smith, the filmmaker, he had his film Dogma out. I love Dogma. When it premiered, there was a group protesting and he went over and joined the protesters. <laughs> and they interviewed him for the news. That's great. When he tells that story, he says he got home and his mom said, Kevin, Kevin, there's someone on the news who looks just like you. That's great. So, I mean, you know, in that fashion, it could well have been something a and, little bit staged. But. And, and who's going to say, you're not the head of the KKK? I am. <laughs> uh, so th- this moves on to, again, you compare it to complete. It's almost exactly the same. The Beatle Burnings radio broadcast. When I was talking about it, it was very close and intimate with this person that I know who happens to be a reporter. And I was using expressions on things that I just read and derived from, about Christianity. Only I was saying it in the simplest form that I know, which is the natural way I talk. And I just said it in those things like, were po- more popular than Jesus and so and so and so and so. But she took them, and people that know me took them exactly as it was, because they know that's how I talk, you know. Then there's another interesting cut after all this footage they cut to footage from how i won the war and the the stukas and the german soldiers firing and everything and then there's the scene where private gripley gets hit and it's it's right after this whole persecution of Lenin. Yeah, which has always been the freakiest slash saddest thing about how I won the war. That's what actually happens, you know. You knew this was happening, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Intercut with that, you get the John apologizing but not apologizing press conference, which then cuts to, I didn't know that they'd been asked about the Time Magazine lesbians and prostitutes thing more than once. The one that's here is not the one that we always see. Right. Paul had clearly thought about the answer to the question between this time he was asked and the second time he was asked because he didn't have the joke this time. Before the controversy involving the statement uh, on Christianity, there was the the statement published in Time magazine uh, suggesting that some of the songs that you were writing had hidden meanings, that uh, Norwegian Wood was actually a song about the seduction of a lesbian and that Jay Tripper was not... Uh, a, a song about prostitution. Oh, was it? Yeah. <laughs> time magazine. Uh, you know, Time magazine order to, you know, sort of check its facts or they must be soft. <laughs> I mean, just the fellow who wrote it, not the whole magazine. <laughs> uh, something like that, that just goes to show what's going through the person's mind who's figuring out what it means. And they probably needed a bit of space filling as well. How do you feel about... Uh... Very rich. I do like John's comeback there. I think they're all soft. Well... Not the whole magazine. And he says it in such a way to be effusive. Well, particularly after answering all these bigger-than-Jesus questions, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, no, I don't want to get in trouble for that. I knew this had happened. You knew it had happened, didn't you? Let me take you down. The editing going from John's You Knew This Would Happen as he's sitting there going into Strawberry Fields was a, an interesting choice. The next editing choice would, was going 
from the close of Strawberry Fields right into A Day in the Life. promo was really pretty rare i don't know if we ever even saw it here i mean strawberry fields and penny lane got aired on american bandstand right but i don't know when the day in the life promo was aired in the states uh i didn't see a day in the life until the 80s probably it wasn't really something that was all that well known i'm not even sure when it was officially released it seemed like it was Long after the band. It wasn't a single. No, but they did have plans of making a film out of Sgt. Pepper for a short time. And then again, like you say, this is Neil and Mal doing this editing, so maybe they're saying something in this edit. Then we go onto a split screen. On the right, you get the Our World satellite broadcast. And then on the left, you get what I would call early Maharishi stuff. Beatles being introduced to Maharishi and first going and meeting him into Bangor. It's all about love. They made that connection. All you need is love right into the Maharishi stuff. To tell us about Brian, we go straight into the interview. Although it's a slightly longer version, you don't usually see Paul and Jane getting into the car and then driving off. And that's included here. You know, normally you just slam right into John's face. He's completely drained of color. Even in black and white, you can tell that he's just in utter shock at that point. I'm shocked and stunned. I understand that um, this afternoon, uh, Maharishi uh, conferred with you all. Could I ask you what he, what advice he offered you? He told us to, uh, not to get overwhelmed by grief and to whatever thoughts we have of Brian, to keep them happy, because any thoughts we have of, have of him will travel to him wherever he is. assorted bits of magical mystery tour mal gets to make sure that he himself is in this footage <laughs> right you know little nicola i am the walrus although as part of it they do have an edit of the three hello goodbye clips yeah it's funny they put hello goodbye before they do all the magical mystery tour stuff and it almost separates it in a way because usually it, i always feel like hello goodbye is kind of after Magical Mystery Tour or, or part of it. So the fact that it came first set it up in a weird way for me. A mental disconnect, yeah. Yeah, and it made me think about the song slightly differently. You know, like it's Paul's business orders. We brought the Beatles to America in 1963. Now, they can't be with us in person on our show December 10th when CBS and Mayor Lindsay are going to, will be naming this theater after our show. But they sent this cablegram from London, and I'd like to read it to you. Dear Ed, winter has come once again to our Great Britain, and we sit by our fires warming our feet. Stop, we send all love to you and everyone looking in. We are happy to be on your show, you too. You too. Stop, have a beautiful Christmas and a sincere New Year. Love the Beatles. Now, it's signed by John Lennon, Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, and George Harrison. 
But uh, tonight, although they can't be here, here are the Beatles on film. This also made me wonder, I'm not even sure I know now what the original Hello Goodbye video was. Which one did they put out? I think it's straight in the pepper suits. Because you got the straight in the pepper suits. You, you got the pepper suits where Ringo's drum size keeps changing around. You got the plain clothes, and then you got the hula girls. Again, I'd have to check on that, but th- those are four versions of it. <laughs> See, that's the thing we have to check. And, and that's the, the thing that I've always thought about all this stuff coming out, you start to lose, what did the artist intend? I don't know there's anything that we can do about it. It's like there ought to be some indication when you see something, this is the original. The artist's original intent. Right. (laughs) The clip ends with uh, your mother should know uh, an excerpt of them dancing. I'm sure they appreciated that. The clips play out with Magical Mystery Tour. hippie happening in the psychedelic social center and the beautiful people of london made their flower power way to beatles george and john's with it aladdin's cave only they call it apple it's a new kind of boutique in baker street familiar newsreel footage this clip actually looks pretty good normally you get a generation or two down they got a pretty good version of this lots of fun John and George eating apples in the fool. Then that takes us into the stage music experiment in television, the Hey Jude rehearsal. We get that computer printout bit at the beginning. It looks like one of those printouts you would go and run into the office in the 1960s with the, with the green and white paper where you'd have to tear the sides off. It certainly dates it. The millennials are saying... What in the heck are you talking about? <laughs> that is an intercut with the promo. Again, this would have only been seen on British television at the time. We are real familiar with the pseudo-rehearsal stuff now, but at the time, this would have been really cool. Into the Larry Kane interview about what is Apple, the Revolution promo, which goes into the Dick James boardroom discussion. Now, we talked about that during Get Back. The fact that Neil and Mal would choose to include this bit in here is pretty telling that even they were mad at dick james well you know (laughs) yes you're right but the fact that that footage was in the film that paul took to the united states to show at the Capitol records convention that was weird that was in it and then it's also kind of interesting to see how putting this footage here reflects upon how peter jackson would use the dick james footage and get back you know they're similar but they're different Right. Yeah, they were certainly upset at Dick James, but was the anger that much when they're on in a slightly less staged situation? They're certainly willing to snipe behind Dick James's back, but John doesn't go out and yell at him the way he does in this clip. Something to think about. Yeah, I will. <laughs> which then takes us to the Apple Boutique closing, which is another thing that they uh, would steal directly for the Ruddles. Nasty blew it up. But the end of the clip is pretty priceless. A businessman in a suit walking away, wearing a dress from the Apple Boutique, just because he got it for free. <laughs> you have to wear it. And he was. So, okay, the uh, we move on from there into Let It Be stuff. And 
It's not let it be stuff. I mean, some of it is, but again, you compare it to get back. This is the first clip we get is almost entirely the John Yoko, Paul and Ringo from when George was gone. And they make no note of that. But chronologically speaking, for Neil and Mal, maybe, that's when she enters the scene. Is you know, that time when the Apple boutique closes. Yoko hasn't shown up up to this point. The Hey Bulldog session was the first time she was actually in the studio with them. Right. And it's certainly the first time that she dared to perform with them. But, I mean, you know, we don't even get all of this and get back. We certainly have all of this footage on bootleg, but it's interesting they were going to put this in an official product. Particularly at the time, Yoko was not as recognized as she is now. Would people have sat through four minutes of Yoko doing her thing all over you? Even though the other three Beatles are playing and playing really wicked stuff, I'm not sure how commercial that would have been. Well, it could be political. That could well be. When they got Paul back, John was like, okay, we're going to keep this in. Right. Then we get a a couple sections of rooftop, which lead into uh, Paul and Linda's wedding and John Yoko's bed piece. Yes. Again, similar but different to the way either Michael Lindsay Hogg or Peter Jackson would approach some of the same material. Michael Lindsay Hogg had already done his thing. He'd had all of this footage. Possibly. Then we move on to, as it would be in almost everything at the time, the solo stuff was kind of, well, here's where we're at right now. We don't know where the future's going to go. We get a scene of Ringo rowing a boat, talking about the end of the Beatles. Right. Uh, We get a Johnny Yoko press conference, which leads into the Gloria Emerson bit that we're all familiar with. Compare this to the way the same footage is used in Imagine John Lennon. Then it ends with the something promo clip, which, again, has been become something of a closing point for all of these versions of Beatle documentaries. If you're going to do a chronological Beatle documentary, you kind of always end with a something clip. Yeah. Of which I'm not sure why. I mean, you know, Ballad of John Yoko would be just as strong an ending point. You know, maybe it's the fact that they have moved on. You know, you still got George and Patty and you got Ringo and Maureen, but you have Paul and Linda, you have John and Yoko. So that film certainly closes basically in 1970. Yeah. You know, so, you know, it's not like they continued to go and the Beatles are they're doing this now. Well, but they'd taken it all the way through. Imagine, through 72, through John moving to the States. And if we're following our supposition that this assemblage was from the time right before Mal left for the States, okay, that's all I had. And it's also interesting that it's really only John that we get in the end here. We don't have anything even implying McCartney or... Or <laughs> don't come easy. The rowboat is Kind of. Wasn't some of that from that era? I think so. But certainly it was a number one song. And why wouldn't you put that? So the something promo is followed by the end, which is played over the uh, Magical Mystery Tour credits because they had no other credits at that point. That is the end of The Long and Winding Road. In which you never hear... (laughs) The Long and Winding Road. Well, Paul's not going to be part of this, which is why we're not going to put him in the last bit. (laughs) And we're not going to put his damn song... In this, even though 
It's a great title. They could have put early 1970 there. <laughs> that would have been kind of appropriate. Yeah, right. Okay, so this version of the film would go through one further edit. We don't know what that further edit would look like, but we do know that some of the Rishikesh footage got included and that the Dezo Hoffman riding on go-karts footage got included. And we know that specifically because Eric Isle told us that, that he was copying it directly from what George had showed him. There were a couple mentions of it through the years before this thing would definitely become an anthology. In a 1974 interview on Today Show, John Lennon specifically mentions that they are working on this Beatles documentary, which is probably going to be called The Long and Winding Road, and it'll be out sometime in the next year. And when was Beatlemania an issue? Beatlemania started as an issue in like 76, 77. It, you know, it was part of the same business with the Ruddles. And I guess there was sort of a Beatlemania comeback, you know, maybe as part of the Sgt. Pepper film thing, although the, the film flopped, but Beatlemania continued. Right. But for us, the reason we want to talk about Beatlemania is that the Beatles were always in and out of court, in and out of lawsuits with the Beatlemania people. And John was to give a deposition in 1980. And what he said in that deposition was that I and the other three former Beatles have plans to stage a reunion concert, an event to be filmed and included as the finale to The Long and Winding Road, the official Beatles-produced documentary that is to be released in the mid-1980s. And some folks have said, you know, it was basically a, a legal maneuver because the Beatles had been so long defunct. It was a matter of defending your copyright. Especially at this point, complete Beatles had come out. And that also probably was something which was of a concern to them. Well, obviously it was a concern to them because Apple would end up buying complete Beatles and burying it as much as they possibly could. And, you know, I suppose some of that has to do with the fact that, as mentioned earlier, the Beatles didn't own all of this footage. Someone else could just as easily go and pay a license fee to Sullivan or pay a license fee to the Maisels brothers or pay a license fee to Dick Lester and get access to the same footage. Right. Then we get one more quote from George Harrison. Well, the Beatles are back together again for one last time, on record at least with two new songs featured in a six-hour TV chronicle on their lives. Why did you agree, the three surviving members, to do this after so long? Well, I tell you what, we've had this film. This film has been around in various forms for right since 1969, and it lay there for years. It was called, tentatively called, The Long Winding Road. But at that time, everybody was annoyed at each other. You know, we were all splitting up. We were tired of being in The Beatles. We'd had all that pressure. And after all these years, you know, it's good because a lot of water's gone under the bridge. And, uh, you know, quite honestly, it's like, to me, it's just like separate from me. That's Long and Winding Road. It's not essential viewing, but I think it tells you about the Beatles at the time. It tells you, as you've mentioned, and that's something that I'm going to think a little bit on. It tells you about Neil and Mal's view of living and working with the Beatles. They're part of that story. They didn't try to insert themselves into this narrative, but they certainly had a view of how it all went down. Although Mal got himself in the Magical Mystery Tour clip, there are like two or three other clips from the touring years where Mal made sure he got himself in there. Yeah. My favorite story was the fact that he 
he had to hold on to a weight in freezing waters. This is during the filming of Help. And he had to hold himself underwater in order to, to pop up or, or submerge the right way. And that takes commitment. <laughs> Especially because he couldn't hear them shouting, you can come up now. Yeah. <laughs> and it was literally until it's like, okay, if I don't let go, I'm going to die. Yeah, <laughs> right. We'll pay you extra. And there's a kitty cat. Yeah, sure enough. We're done here. So that's Long and Winding Road. It's available out there if you choose to go and look for it. Uh, it is interesting as a historical piece. You can find all the clips in much better shape. One last question on our way out here. A lot of people I've talked to at the fest said that they would really like to see a shorter version of the Beatles story. Something like this or like Complete Beatles. Do you think that they should maybe just, if not recut a version of this, do something that just tells the whole story in a you know 90-minute, two-hour, not as a in-depth, but just kind of as a, here's what the Beatles were all about. Yeah, it'd be an interesting project. The, the problem, if it's a problem, is you have to dedicate a certain amount of time to telling the story, and yet you still have to play the music and you know, that takes up a lot of time. If you're going to play the evolution of the Beatles style, it's going to take a, a bit of time. So I, I don't know if it's possible. I don't know, but I do think it's it may be a good idea. And they did as good a job as you probably could do here, to be honest with you. Neil and Mal cut together a reasonably well-presented view of how they went from some other guy in Mersey Sound all the way through to screaming with Yoko. <laughs> right. How about if you put together a narrative that lasts two hours and then you just have bookmarks that if you hit, we'll play you whatever it is that you're talking about. That would be a good idea. That would be a way that they could do it. If you like that enough to continue, the rest of it's out there. Right. You can, you can certainly move on to anthology or move on to get back or move on to whatever longer form you want. But I can understand, you know, people are still kind of reluctant to sit down and particularly, you know, we're in a zero attention span era. So, I mean, the good thing about the chapters, as you suggest, is you can then just take each chapter and split it out as a 10 minute YouTube video. Yeah. Or hopefully someone out there is working on a university of the Beatles where you could go on digitally and just go through an entire catalog of everything, and you can explore whatever rabbit hole you want. Right now, the question is just as an introduction to the kids coming up. Yeah. There's certainly hear the music. That's one thing. There's not a one thing that I can point at and say for somebody who was not familiar with the, the band. Or maybe heard a song or two, and it's like, oh, well, I want to learn more about these guys. Everyone tells me that they're the greatest, and it's like, you can certainly sit them down and play them one, but that's, you know. <laughs> right. People like video. Yeah. And the video is all just so good. Even in this terrible quality, you sit down and it just absorbs you into it. Yeah. All right. Very good. We will be back uh, next week with a new show. <laughs> that's what the contract says. <laughs> subscribe to when they was fab on itunes podbean stitcher or wherever finer podcasts are found please join our facebook group and we could be reached 
at when they was fab and on Gmail. The opening theme was written, produced, and recorded by Jay Young Kim, Beaster Famine Studios, San Francisco, California. The status on the long and winding road, it's still long and it's still winding. And it looks like there's it. No, there's no news on that. Uh, every sort of year we all get together and think, what should we do with it? And then we say, do this, do that, and the other. Then we do nothing. <laughs> and then we meet up again the next year and we go through the whole thing again. The long and winding road has been one of the things that we talked about lately. It's been around for years, let's face it. I mean, this road is so long and so winding, <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. Uh, but eventually it, it should come out it i think first you're actually going to see yoko's version of the long winding road but uh, having said that we are cooperating with each other because john is also part of our movie just as the beatles are part of john's life and so you're actually going to get two films eventually and one of them will be much sooner than the other and uh, there may be some same footage in them, but if we're clever, we may be able to trick you into thinking different things happened. I tell you one thing, there's sickness going on and there's some good people doing work in hospitals, but they got no bread to do it on. Not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people, but they're, they're scraping the barrel for funds to keep going. Turned up nice again.